The Pilgrimage of the Heart Philosophy Exploration is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. Quick synopsis. We've got a yogi, a guy who dissatisfied with the world. He thought he was out, went to seek friendship and happiness, couldn't find them, uh, grew dissatisfied with the world, retreats to the quiet, lonely forest, plunges into meditation for thousands of years. The anthill grows up around him. Then High up in heaven, the heavenly sage Narada, the inventor of music, comes down, says, hey, I need you to do something. The guy says, no way, I don't want to come out. He says, please, you got to do something. And the word, the line that always um, rings with Narada, the celestial musician, says, you know, Sita is coming across the river, she's about to drown herself. You've got to do something. She has two unborn sons inside of her. She's been wronged. And, you know, you, you can't, don't let this happen. Don't you also forsake her. And take her here into your hermitage. And Valmiki says, um, what does he say? Uh, I, I can't do all this. I don't have a hermitage. I don't know how to write a song. I don't know any of these things. And Narada just over and over says, just act. Just do it. Just start and the rest will fall into place. The rest will come. Act now and the rest will happen. And so I always, um, a good friend of mine who's, who I know from New York from all the years of meditation who has initiated so many projects with our meditation group, he, say, he always says, 99% of finishing something is just starting. If you just get that little impetus, then things fall into place. And so, <clears throat> Valmiki has, um, let's see, what has he said? Page six. Okay, so Valmiki, he says, yeah, she's crossing the river. He says, okay, I'm going to help her. Valmiki stood up and broke free out of that hard anthill. Suddenly, he saw all around him many houses of hermits and their families, young trees carefully watered, a retreat cleared from the forest. Four boys ran up to him from the river and cried, the wife of some great warrior weeps by the Ganga. She is fair as a goddess fallen from heaven, all bewildered, all alone, never seen before with child, and with small gifts from her city tied in a silk cloth beside her. Go to her, Valmiki, welcome her, protect her. Valmiki ran to Sita on the riverbank. 
Sita, stay here in my hermitage. You have found here your father's house in a foreign land. We will care for you as our daughter. Quickly, the hermit wives surrounded Sita and took her to their homes. Narada had gone. Valmiki went alone to the clear Ganga waterside and bathed. He washed away the anthill dust and peeled gray bark from a tree and made some fresh new clothes. Then he sat back resting against a stone. He watched two small white water birds in a nearby tree. The male bird was singing to his mate when, before Valmiki's eyes, an arrow hit him and the little bird fell from the limb. He thrashed on the ground an instant and then lay dead, and blood drops stained his feathers. Heartbroken, the dead bird's mate cried, Your long feathers, your tuneful song. A bird hunter came from the forest holding a bow. Valmiki's heart was pounding, and he cursed the killer. You will find no rest for the long years of eternity, for you killed a bird in love and unsuspecting. One look at Valmiki and the hunter ran for his life, but fever already burned in his blood. He died that day. Valmiki turned back to his hermitage thinking, This is truly how I remember the ways of the world. Then he thought, those words I cursed him with, they make a verse, and that verse could be sung to music. For days the words ran through Valmiki's mind. Whatever he seemed to be doing, he was really thinking of the verse. So, one thing we find is, is the, the curse. So we, we have this throughout the Indian uh, teachings and the Indian philosophy, is the power of the mantra. So we've just all had the experience of the power of taking those two mantras, Om and Shanti, and sitting with it, and repeating it, and how it, what it does to our mind, it brings our mind to a very powerful, peaceful place. And so in the, in the more subtle philosophies or the more subtle realms, there's a lot of importance given to the power of words and to spells and incantations. And you know, you find that in the, um, in the mystical world or in the world of the power of words, the power of spells, of incantations. And so... In spirituality, how significant mantras are, and our own self-talk. So the thoughts you put into your own mind, the, you could say in a sense the spells you repeat about yourself and about your life and about your abilities. So the power of the words. And then this tragic event, he's watching the two birds in love and then, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, one gets killed and curses, he curses the killer. But then in that curse, 
he start, he starts to, it's being repeated over and over, and he's realizing it's starting, it's taking a form inside his mind. So no matter, no matter what he seemed to be doing that day, his mind kept coming back to the verse, to repeating it. And he thought to himself, those words I cursed him with make a verse, and that verse could be turned to music. And so we're seeing what Narada said starting to come into play. Is part of the, uh, the, the what Valmiki's role is to put this Ramayana into verse. And Valmiki says, well, I know nothing about poetry. I don't know anything about verse. But now we see that it's starting to come into play. So he didn't, he didn't have the skill, and yet he took the courage, he took the first steps, sees something horrible, curses someone, but then from this curse, he's starting to experience verse and poetry. So we see that he's starting to get the skills he needs. And this is often something we find in our own lives is that challenging things happen to us. But from those challenging things, we get the skills and the abilities we need to move forward in our lives. So tough times come, we have to, um, we have to react to them, we have to face up to it, but in that action, we build up strength and abilities. For days the words ran through Valmiki's mind. Whatever he seemed to be doing, he was really thinking of the verse. On the fourth day after Sita's rescue, Lord Brahma, the creator of the worlds, appeared in Valmiki's new retreat. So Lord Brahma, part of the Hindu trinity. Does anyone know the other two? Got Brahma. Who? The Atman is like the soul, the personal soul. So these are these are the three guys, the personification. So the Brahma, the creator. Vishnu, the preserver. Shiva, the transformer. So those three energies. And you find that in the, in the word om, A-U-M, ah is the beginning of creation, U is the sound, the sound you preserve, and then M, our lips come together, you start to transform from sound into the silence, then the big breath comes again, and then Brahma, creation again. So that cycle. And in the Indian philosophy, we're seeing Brahma masculine, but each of the Figure that the the Trinity has a female consort, a female aspect. So for Brahma, he'll he'll be described in a minute, um, but his female aspect is Saraswati. Saraswati. So she's the goddess with the, um, looks like a sitar, but she's playing music. She has the book of knowledge in one hand. So the, the the creativeness through the arts. Humankind's expression through art. So Valmiki's sitting there, and the Lord of the Universe shows up. Pretty good. Have him drop by your house. On the fourth day after Sita's rescue, Lord Brahma, the creator of the worlds, appeared in Valmiki's new retreat. He looked like an old man with red skin and white hair, with four arms with four faces round one head, 
holding in his hands a ladle and a rosary, a water pot and a holy book. So the four faces is the ability to see in all directions, so the idea of knowing all things. Has anyone been to Thailand or the East? Has anyone been to India? Yeah. Thinking about going. Thinking about going? It's a great journey. Yeah. So there you find this, this imagery at, all over. And um, someone from Thailand was actually very kind. They gave me a beautiful statue of Brahma. So the four faces seen in all the directions. And then the four arms. So he's holding... Each, each is symbolic. One is a ladle. And the ladle is in the in the sacred in the sacred ceremonies there's a fire, the sacred fire going, and the Brahmins, the priests, they dip their ladles in ghee, which is like clarified butter, and they pour it on the fire, and so it creates the smoke and the smoke rises up. And that smoke is what the gods feed on. So it appeases the gods and then the the booms are Offered. So the ladle is the, um, for the offering of the fire, he's got a rosary, which is significant of what? The rosary. Catholics. What's that? Catholics. Um, well, what do the Catholics do with their rosary? Right. right. So that repetition, the japa, the, the japa, the mantra. So again, journey to India, if you see Buddhist monks, a lot of times um, they'll, be, they'll have their prayer beads going. So they'll have a, a goal like to chant a prayer or a mantra 108 times in a given day. So that's the rosary. And then he's got a water pot. So sustenance, health, life, the... the, the value of water, of living, of being healthy, and then a holy book. So there's the scriptures, the wisdom. Valmiki greeted Brahma, sit by me, and taking water from a pitcher, he washed Brahma's feet and gave him other water to drink. But after that, even sitting there, even sitting there with the grandfather of all the universe watching him, still Valmiki remembered only the two water birds and thought to himself, what a crime. There was not one bite of meat on that. So again, we see Valmiki coming back to this. The world is, is just full of things he's not interested in. So he's sitting by the grandfather of the universe, but he's still 
thinking about this situation, which shows that Zalmiki is starting to really enter into his role. So, you know, a little bit earlier, before Nardi came down, his mind was lost in contemplation. He didn't want anything to do with the world. But as he's stepping forward, he's stepping, he's coming into the world and seeing the water bird, the little bird get killed, verses coming into his mind, even though the supreme being of the universe is sitting by his side, he's still focusing in on what just occurred and the verses. And so as any hero has to, he's starting to really immerse himself in, in the world and in what's going on. And so that's <clears throat> like a fine line to walk, which is to be in the world and part of it and, and activated and um, enthusiastic and playing your role, but at the same time, not getting lost in it not falling into despair, not falling into hopelessness or a feeling of helplessness. So balancing those two things. And a nice description uh, from a teacher named uh, Ramakrishna is to be like a water bird. So the water bird can dive into the water get the fish it's need, it's submerged in the water, but then it comes out, shakes its feathers, and the water's all gone. And so to be able to do the same thing, to be able to plunge into the world, be part of the world, do your job, do your actions, do your heroic deeds, but then in your daily practice of meditation, to be able to come up, shake all that off, and then have that fresh start. So that, that's the ability you get through the, through, again, that's why I'm emphasizing the regular practice. <clears throat> Questions, thoughts, comments? Good to go? Okay. <clears throat> Those thoughts, so these thoughts in Valmiki's mind, those thoughts were as clear to Brahma as if Valmiki had been shouting in his ear. Brahma said, So, by a river, the world's first verse has been born from pity and love and compassion. For a tiny bird has made you a poet. Use your discovery to tell Rama's story, and your verses will defeat time. As you make your poem, Rama's life will be revealed to you, and no words of yours will be untrue. By a river, the world's first verse has been born from pity and love and compassion. And so again, the, the reality of the world we live in, the things we create, the things we do, the actions we take, it's not just going to come from the happy fairy tale experiences. It has to come out of the challenges we face, the difficulties, and adding to those, seeing those things clearly, adding in compassion, adding in love, and bringing forward all that emotion to uh, create the things that we're going to create. 
And a lot of times we think of creation just as like, art, you know, the poet or the artist is the creator. But it's really important to see the creation of your own life. So a, a painter painting a beautiful painting is no more creative than a person doing their job in a really loving, creative way as a form of their self-expression. So a lot of times we get caught in situations where we're not necessarily expressing ourselves or we don't think we can. But then the challenge becomes to be an artist of your own life and to see the life that you're creating. And this is where the power of visualization comes in. So when you get into the calm meditative state, the ability to visualize your spiritual heart opening or to visualize where you want to be six months from now or what kind of person you want to become. So that the, the creativeness of our own life. And again, a lot of times it comes from challenging situations. So if you can look very clearly at where you're at right now and say, you know, this is okay, but I think I have a lot more potential or I want to do more or I feel stagnant or whatever it is, looking at that and a lot of times that emotion of feeling stuck or feeling um, like there's more, from that can come the great creativity. Just like from the death of this little bird and the pity and the suffering comes the compassion and the love out comes the, the verse. So in the same way, bringing that into our own lives, that, that creative energy. Okay, last part. Lord Brahma returned to his heaven, far above the changing heavens of Indra and the gods, riding on his chariot drawn by white swans and snow geese. His chariot drawn by white swans and snow geese. And here, here's a, another really great thing about the Indian philosophy. So he says, Brahma returns to his heaven far above the changing heavens of Indra and the gods. So in the, again, in, the, in, the, um, in this ancient view or this ancient mythology or cosmology, there's, there's like the world that, that we're in, which is the temporal world where time goes um, very quickly and there's suffering and we're kind of, it's just all transient. Then slightly, the higher, the higher heaven, the, the heaven this changing heaven. Indra is the god of the storm. And Surya is the god of the sun. So kind of like Poseidon and um, Zeus, you know, that realm. And, and those, those up there, the time stands are much bigger. You know, like as a human being, you have 80, 90 years. But you know, what if you were the sun? Okay, then you have a couple billion years. Or if you were a comet, you'd have 75,000 years. So that, that everything has a soul, not just human beings, but all parts of the universe. And so we're all, in a sense, in different time frames. 
like flies live 24 hours. So they like come and go. That's like a really fleeting world. We have like this gigantic universe compared to them. But then there's bigger lifespans. And so um, Brahma goes to the highest realm, the changeless realm. And so the way to relate to it is as you go into deeper meditation and the practice here, you, you go to a place that's more stable. You know, when you're just in your mind and you're worried and you're thinking, everything's always changing. Here comes this thought, here comes that thought. But as you go into deeper meditation, things become more permanent. You lock into that feeling of all. You, you hear that mantra over and over. Time, time starts to feel different. So you're going to a, like a, a more steady reality. And so as you go deeper and deeper, then you start to get to these realms, this, this higher heaven where time still changes, but it's, it's, there's more permanence. And that's that realm of these, um, the bigger forces of life. And then at the highest realm is the, the Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, that that highest realm of creation. And so in the, in the Indian stories and even in like the Greek mythology, there's interaction between that next realm of heaven and our earth. So in this story, you're going to see, um, you know, in the first, the creation myth that is encountered in here and these kind of things involve these deeper energies, these deep earth energies connecting with humans and creating uh, this world, you know, and all these things are inside of us. That's the idea of the idea of Atman, your soul, your personal soul. The, the meditation teaches that if you can connect and feel that part of yourself, you're feeling that realm of Brahma, that deepest reality. So it's not like it's somewhere out there. In a story, it's somewhere out there. The stories are, you know, about places and people, but ultimately the deepest philosophy says all of this is inside of ourselves. So that deepest heaven is inside of us. Okay. So if you like the story and you want to, you want to jump ahead, you can do what Chris has done, is get the, uh, get the reminder, yeah. We sell them here. The, the bookstore is closed after the class, but if you want to pick one up, we have them before. And again, or you can get it online. It's The Ramayana by William Buck. That's the one to read. Okay, so um, on to the next realm. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste. Namaste.